Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Well, today we are going to continue in Colossians. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Colossians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 18. And some of you are like, wait, it's deja vu all over again. We've already covered this passage. We have, but not in its entirety yet. We still have two relationships to talk about today that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the biblical guidelines for And so it's uh, just really exciting to read God's word, to see how we have been given the opportunity to live in the kingdom of the Son, that we have an eternal king, Christ Jesus, who has established for us a pathway to citizenship, to come into his kingdom and belong and live this new life in which we get to suffer a little bit for the sake of the kingdom, serving in his army, if you will. And, And he ultimately, though, is the payoff for that. He is our greatest treasure. He is all we need. And when we understand that, it helps us to focus our living rightly and to put off or get rid of some things and to put on other things. And that, remember, brought us to chapter 3, verse 17, in which we were told, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. So we've got this command to do everything that we do in the name of Jesus for the sake of our Savior, under the authority of our King, who we have trusted as our Lord and Savior. And so everything, when we read something like everything or all in Scripture, it always means everything or all, not just some of your life, not just Sunday mornings, not just when you come to Bible study, not when you just want to look like a good person during an interview, but instead everything we do in word or deed should be done to honor our King Jesus. And so that's what brought us to chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And to read the whole section over again, let me remind you, this is the household code. It was written to help uh, a, a new Christian home, a Christian home establish right ways of living that glorifies God and brings blessing into the lives of all who belong to that household. And this is not some sort of arbitrary thing based on cultural standards, but it is instead a code written based upon the very designs of God that we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And so here is what God's word says to all of us and how we're supposed to live in our Christian households. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done from the Lord or for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, 
deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. And so we see that, that, that there is a proper Christian household. There is a structure to the way a home should work. And some of these things, some of these phrases, some of these roles, we might be a little bit taken aback by in modern culture, you know, slaves and masters. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today. And, and we want to understand how can that apply to our lives? Anyone here have household servants? Right. That did just... It, it, some of you raised your hands, not your children, by the way. Uh, they, we've already addressed that relationship. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, you know, in everything. Uh, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage them. We've already addressed that relationship. We're not talking about the slaves that look like you. We're talking, no, no household servants, right? Nobody, nobody has any, any people that they purchased uh, serving in their home. Uh, nobody that they captured in war. Serving in your home, right? So, so we might read this passage and we're a little, ah, this, this is not right, is it? This is wrong. Well, understand that the Bible is addressing us where we are and how we are to live where we are. It doesn't always speak to where the things need to be. And so today we're going to talk about slaves and masters. And this is once again a passage that has been abused a passage that has been misapplied and misused for self-gratification, for the glory of those who have power. But remember, we, we want to remember that abuse does not abolish the use. Just because we have seen people misuse and abuse Scripture, it doesn't mean that we should ignore what it teaches Um, sorry, if you just think I'm, it's good, it's good. Uh, but instead, we want to we wanna live out God's commands and his scriptural mandates so that the family, the home, the way that we live in every aspect of life can bring to us the blessing it was designed to bring to us. So let's look at verse 22 of chapter 3. So slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Now, the first word right there, this is the one we've got to deal with right out of the gate, don't we? Because when we read this, we might go, well, this doesn't apply anymore. Or we might read this and go, this is irrelevant. And in fact, some of us might read this in scripture and go, what? Why, why would God's word have this in there? Why would it talk to slaves as though this is some sort of acceptable practice and and understand that that it is not that God's word says everyone should have a slave but it's recognizing that in households in this era there were slaves and there is a question now that we are Christians together how are slaves supposed to live But first, let's look at the word slave in Scripture, because we've got to understand some of your translations, some of you might have a Bible open in your reading, and it says something else. Uh, Anybody have in your translation that's open before you the word servants instead of slave? Yeah, so we've got got servants. Um, what What we must understand about this word is it's doulos, and it literally means a bond servant, someone who is property of another. Now, becoming property of someone else could actually, in this day and age, when it is written, be a choice. 
when you have a debt to someone or you'd like someone to pay for your training to, to, uh, to help you advance in life, you would actually sign on as their servant, as their slave. You'd be a bond servant, a servant by contract or agreement in, in order to become what you would like to be by using the resources that they have to offer. In fact, in this day and age, up to 50% of the Roman population was in slavery, and a lot of the slaves in this era included doctors and lawyers and teachers. Now, why is this? It's because there were no public school systems. There, there were no uh, courts of law and, and places where, where lawyers just hung out to take your money. You know, only 25%. It's okay. It, it, instead, what we find is that if someone wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, they wouldn't go get training and then hang a shingle and then become those things. But instead, they would typically have to have someone pay for their education and then they would be a servant or a slave, a bond servant in that person's household for the rest of their life to pay off what had been invested in them. And so teachers would, would be there. They'd receive their training. They'd come. They'd serve underneath a wealthy business person to teach their children to raise up the next generation of wealthy business people so that they could have more teachers as slaves. Uh, you get the picture, though, that even what we would consider today professional jobs in this era were actually the jobs of slaves. And so to be a slave, as the Bible is speaking to it here, you may have come out of a battle and you lost a battle, lost a war to the empire, and you were taken as captive and then sold as a slave. But you also might have said, this is the best opportunity for me to advance in life. And so I will commit myself to this master who will provide for me, uh, give me my training, but he will essentially own me. And so it was not an uncommon practice in this day and age for there to be lots of slaves. And so there would also be slaves in households where the master had become saved, trusted Christ as king. And the slaves had themselves heard the gospel and trusted Christ as king. So now what are we supposed to do, right? Because under the law in the Roman Empire, slaves had no rights, no inheritance, and no way to seek justice if they were mistreated. Now, a lot of people like to look and, and, and the, the struggle that we have is American slavery. And we go, well, it was so much worse. And I have to tell you that while American slavery was terrible, it's not much different than Roman slavery. It's not much different than the slavery we see uh, addressed here in scripture, that, that slavery is a, a, a terrible institution in some ways where you, you become someone else's property but it served its purpose in this era. And the question is, what do you do now that you have slaves who are Christians and masters who are Christians? What's their relationship supposed to look like? I mean, it was even so serious slavery that if you fled as a slave, you might be branded with a big F on your forehead. You might be whipped, scourged, or even put to death for seeking your own freedom. And, and so slavery... It's just this complex institution, and it has always existed amongst humans. We're like that. And guess what? Do you know that there are more slaves today, right now, than at, in, than at any point in human history? There are still people living in slavery. And some of you might think, yeah, 
You know my boss. And, and that's ultimately going to become our application for us. But I mean, literally, there are people in our, in our world today, more people in our world today considered property of someone else than has ever been all throughout history. And so we, we must understand that, that this is actually not an institution that's dead, though we would look at it and, and, and think it should be and, and agree that it should be. But instead, it, it's something that we have to wrestle through and try and understand, especially if you remember earlier in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote this about the church. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now you might read back to that verse and then we get to chapter 3 verse 22 and go, wait a minute. I thought in Christ there was no slave or free. There's no difference. Now we have to draw a distinction and understand what Paul is communicating in verse 11 of chapter 3. He is saying that in regards to salvation, in regards to acceptance into the church, all distinctions are off the table. Everyone is equal in God's eyes in their need for salvation because of their sinfulness. And everyone, regardless of their background, you can be Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarians, you know, those uncivilized people, or Scythians, the most uncivilized of the uncivilized. You can be slave or free. You can be of any distinction or background, and you can be saved. You can come to Christ, and he can be your king, and he can rescue you. But then even though there is no distinction in salvation, the truth is we still live in this world, don't we? It would be so much easier if the moment we, we walked the aisle, made a profession of Christ, it was just like, boop, we're gone. Wouldn't that be cool just to be in perfection as soon as, as salvation hit? I mean, you go, oh, but I'd miss so much. No, you wouldn't. You'd, everything would be perfect if you were walking with Christ in this moment. If you were gone into eternity with him, it would be just perfect. You wouldn't regret or miss anything. But the fact is, is that that's not how God chose to work things. When we are saved, we must now still walk in this world and figure out how to live underneath the conditions and circumstances that God has allowed to be. And so that's why we have this household code. It helps us to understand that there are roles within the home that we all get to fulfill. And, and that even slavery and master, slave and master is a relationship that still exists and must be addressed. Now, some of you might ask yourselves the question, but didn't Jesus come to abolish slavery? Didn't he come to set everyone free? I mean, I read Jesus talking about freedom. I read him saying things about, you know, in him we can be free. And so didn't Jesus come to abolish slavery? Now we have to understand something about Jesus. Jesus, when he came, when he walked this earth, when he ministered, he could have at any time turned the switch and become a political leader. They, the people were clamoring for him to be their king according to political terms, according to the things that they desired and they wanted. And you know the things they wanted from Jesus, right? Free food, free health care, and somebody to make them feel really good about themselves. That's what they wanted from Jesus when they asked him to be king. And, and Jesus says, I want you to understand something about myself. The, the day before he's crucified and speaking with Pontius Pilate regarding the nature of who he was and what he came to do, Jesus says this. 
My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So if Jesus says on the day he is about to be crucified, he says this to Pontius Pilate, look, if I were supposed to be king right now in the way that you think, my servants would decimate you. Do you think that Jesus came to change politics? Do you think that Jesus came to, to, to make things different according to kings and rulers? And, and I think the answer is clear, is, is it's no. Jesus' mission was not to establish a new political party, but his mission was to set us free in a different way. Earlier in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, Jesus says this while speaking to the Jewish people. He's in a discussion with them regarding who he is and and what he came to do. And he says to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered. And, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, if you know your Bible history, first of all, that's a funny statement. Because uh, they spent about 400 years in slavery in Egypt. So it's like, really? Come on, guys. You're a little mistaken. Uh, you're, you're missing a chunk of time here. They'd been in, in captivity in Babylon and in Assyria. They, they had been slaves in their history. But what they're saying to him is, we're not slaves today. We're not slaves to anyone. We serve the one true God. We're children of Abraham. And Jesus replies, how can, or they say to him, how can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. He was saying to them, you are slaves, but what are you slaves to? Sin. You are a slave to sin, but if I set you free, you will be genuinely free. Now, Jesus was not worried about their political oppression. They lived under a harsh system of taxation in which they had no religious autonomy. They were, they were ruled strictly by the Romans. They were in fear of their life and they longed for their kingdom to be restored. They wanted so much more than what they had. And Jesus' concern was not, let's ride into Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman government that rules there, and retake our land. Let's make everything right. Let's abolish slavery, make everybody equal, feed everybody, and give everybody free health care. That was not Jesus' mission. What was his mission? What did he come to do? To set his people free from sin. So when we talk about Jesus and freedom, his goal, his mindset is not one of the freedom that we think, the freedom to you know, retire young and, and then go fishing every day, but the freedom instead to not be under the bondage of sin. Romans 6, after Jesus' ministry and life and death and resurrection and ascension, we're, this is written to us. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of, of the one you obey. And then the twists here. Of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you actually are to be enslaved to righteousness. Jesus came to set 
people free from sin. When we talk about the slavery that Jesus is concerned with, it is the, our slavery to sin, our slavery to the old way of doing things, the slavery that leads to death. In fact, we can see in Scripture just how, if you will, unconcerned the gospel message is with slavery. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. And so the apostle is, is telling the church, as we apply Jesus' teachings... Look, wherever you're at in life, it's okay to be in that situation. It doesn't mean that God loves you more or less if you're struggling, if you're a slave, if you're unmarried. Earlier in the chapter, he says, if, if you are in a place where it feels like I'm just suffering and struggling, it doesn't mean that, that you're wrong or that God doesn't love you. In fact, it's okay where you're at. Be content. Instead, rejoice in the fact that you are now a slave to Christ. Regardless of your life situation, it's, it's not a problem. Live in Christ. Now he does say, if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. And he doesn't mean if all of a sudden there's a hole in the fence and you can run, do. There was actually a practice in the culture of the day that slaves made a small stipend on a regular basis. Once a year they would receive a small amount of money that they could spend on themselves or save long term. Some slaves would save it over the course of years. And then after they had saved up enough of their small stipend, they would actually purchase their freedom. It's called manumission. It was the ability for a slave to be able to, to earn their freedom back by paying for it. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, if you were born or you were, were saved in slavery, it's okay. Stay in it. Live in it. Glorify God. But if you can get free, sure, pay yourself off. Get out there. Learn to be a free man. But it doesn't matter one way or the other. Because ultimately, you are a slave to Christ. So when we talk about slavery, I, I, I don't want you to hear me saying, so everybody go and buy a slave. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying figure out how to get yourself involved in the slave trade. In fact, I think it is a grievous evil that dishonors the image of God in one another. And, and when we look at history, slavery has come to an end, not because everybody sat back and said, oh, this isn't very good, but Christians applied the word of God and saw in others who were unlike themselves the image of God and said, it is wrong for us to own others. It is wrong for us. Even if the Bible gives us guidelines for how to live it out, it is wrong for us as we become more mature in our faith to allow ourselves this injustice, to allow it to be part of our culture. And every place that slavery is outlawed, do you know what is uniquely true about that place? Abolition was birthed from Christianity. Today, the places where slavery is most prominent are the places where the, the Christian influence is next to nothing, where Islam rules, where other religions have sway. 
That's where slavery is still at its worst. And so while the Bible gives us standards for how to live out as a slave, it is biblical teaching that gives us the framework for abolishing slavery ultimately. But we must understand that Jesus came to free from slavery to sin all who would believe on him. And so there is no contradiction in scripture. There is no contradiction in Christianity where we see scriptures both saying Christ came to set us free and if you are a slave, live as a God-honoring slave. There's no contradiction because Jesus' mission was not to change the politics, though that is a beautiful fruit of the Christian life rightly lived. But instead, Jesus' mission was to come to set us free from the slavery of sin. So it's really important to understand some basic truths just real quick about Christianity. It is not a political system. And anyone who tries to sell to you a faith that is a political system is distorting Christianity. Now, should Christianity affect our politics? Absolutely. Should our faith inform what we pursue in this world? Absolutely. But it's also not a social system. Christianity is not socialism. We read in, in Acts chapter 2 that, that the church, they shared everything they had. But that is not a command that we should all share everything, though it is good and right and commanded to care for one another and love one another. But socialism is not what is dictated by the Bible. It, it's not an economic system. It's not a method for making the world a better place. Understand what I mean by that. It is not that we walk out and slap people with Bibles and the world becomes a better place because our Christianity comes to bear on it. No, it is the more people who follow Christ wholeheartedly, the better the world will be. We don't change the world by using Christianity as a system. We see the world changed when we share Jesus Christ as king and more people submit him, themselves to him and they live for him. And guess what happens? Our world will change. Our world, our, our little world that's right in front of us and our world writ large will change the more people submit themselves to Jesus Christ as king. So how do we reconcile this? Well, we say slavery is a condition that people lived in. And the Bible speaks to it because it speaks to so many conditions of life and how to live rightly in them. And it's ultimately biblical truth that leads us to abolition. But it is not commanded in the Bible. Instead, we have this. This is the command. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. So as we're talking about slavery, first we have to answer, well, what did it mean then? And why is it okay that God talks about it like this? And I feel like we've We've at least opened the door for you to understand. If you have further questions, I'm open to talking. But now we have to ask, how do we apply this scripture to ourselves? Because we've already, we've already you know, come to the conclusion, none of us have servants or slaves at home. So how do we, well, the, the easiest place to apply this is in our work lives. In, in, in our vocational lives, the places where we earn money. That we are the ones who have become the slaves. And some of you, you work at a place that's like, absolutely, I'm a slave. They do everything but beat me. You, you know, it, it, it's what it feels like some days. Um, 
you, you, the, the, this, is, this is where it is. How do we live out our Christian life? If, if we don't have slaves, well, we understand what the relationship looks like today. Employees and employers. And here's, here's what the Christian should be living, should be doing. Obey your human masters in everything. Now, obey. What does it mean to obey? It, it means to obey. <laughs> there's, no, there's no better word. There's no better way to express it. We all get what obey means. And the word in the original Greek, it, it is an, an absolute unquestioning obedience. And some of you might go, yeah, you don't know my boss. Uh, it, it says to obey in everything, right? Yes, but understand, the, the, it says obey your human masters. And, and really, I don't like that translation from the, the, the CSB. And I don't know that any translation has it exactly the way I like it. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read a few Greek scholars. And they say that in the original language, it is obey the masters of your flesh. The ones who are in control of your body. And, and, and what does that mean? Well, they're the ones who get to, to, to call the shots on, on what you do during the day, what you do physically. And not in everything in the same way that an ancient Roman slave, but in many things, Right? How, how often do you get to take a break? How many times do you go to the bathroom? When lunch is? Uh, you know, what's due at the end of the day? That, that how much work you need to accomplish? How, and, and, and you understand we are supposed to be, as Christians, walking in obedience towards those who have control over our flesh in everything where they have been given dominion. Throughout the day, they are essentially our masters, and it says this, and it's amazing that God's word speaks exactly to how we behave. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the boss. No, fearing the Lord. We, we, we are all like this, right? When, when the person in authority is out of the room, what is it like? It's, it's like, it's a free day. It's a day off. You know, like substitute teachers at school, right? You guys know what it's like. As soon as the TV's wheeled in, you know this is going to be a great class. Because we're going to learn nothing and accomplish nothing. Yes. Rock on. Same's true at work. The boss is a, off for the week, day off, whatever. Yes. It's just a play day. I'm going to catch up on TikTok and Candy Crush. Right? And, and, and some of you you, 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 you know what that's like. And if it's not you, it's everybody else, isn't it? And it's, it's not you. It's everybody else who behaves this way. And, and God's word is so awesome because it speaks right to our hearts. And it calls us out on our nonsense before we even realize what we're doing. Stop working as though... You were only trying to please a boss. Stop working just because somebody is watching you. Stop doing your best just because you're afraid of getting yelled at. And instead, do your very best in everything you have been assigned to do because you're doing it for God's glory. And, and this is a shift in perspective, isn't it? I mean, a lot of us, it's, we, we get to, you know, revisiting what we do and we go, well, I'll do more or I'll do better if you pay me more or you, you, you know, more benefits or, you know, I, I'd like a barista in the break room, right? We, we, we were, we're like that, but, but God's word is telling us we're supposed to be motivated 
by our love for Christ Jesus, motivated by our relationship to him as our king. And to do it, not just when people are watching, but when no one's around, because we know God is always watching. Chapter three, verse 23, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Whatever you do. Now that word, whatever, what do you think it means you know, in the original Greek? Whatever. <laughs> everything. Everything and whatever. Anything you set your hand to, do it from the heart. Now the word heart there, it, it can also be translated soul. From the deepest part of who you are as influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit, what you do every day should be flowing from there. Now, that's juxtaposed. It says, obey the masters of your flesh, but whatever you do, do it from your heart. Who owns your heart? Who owns your soul? God. Christ Jesus, this is the the power of the very God of creation dwells within you. And that's where things are supposed to flow from. That's where your, your work on a daily basis should come from. As something done for who? The Lord. Not for people. You are not working for the boss in the office or the owner of the company who's, you know, on a picture that you know, on the, on the wall, right? You, you are working for the Lord. You are working for the Lord. And, and here's why we're supposed to be motivated that way. Knowing, and that word knowing, it's not just like, yeah, I know. But like, you know, you've experienced this. You've seen the results of this. You will receive the reward of an inheritance, of an inheritance from the Lord. It doesn't matter if you don't get paid what you think you deserve. Now, listen, in, in today's day and age, I'm not saying stay in a terrible job, but what I'm saying is you may be, uh, you know, you're struggling, but you know this is where God has put you and you know this is the right place and you're struggling with, do I make enough? Have I got the right benefits? Listen, work for God, glorify God and know that even if you are in a place and you know it's the right place, even that you struggle with it, that he is the one that will make up the difference. He's the one that will fill up your benefits. He's the one that ultimately will give you a reward. And so maybe, maybe the job is not satisfying, but you know it's where you should be and know that Christ will be your satisfaction ultimately. And, and why was this so critical in this day and age, the first century? The idea of a reward is that a reward, or excuse me, an inheritance, slaves could not receive an inheritance. They couldn't pass on anything to the coming generation God's word says a slave, a worker who works rightly, who lives according to the standards being taught here will receive their inheritance, not from a master, not from someone else, but from the Lord himself. This last phrase, you serve the Lord Christ. It can be one of two things. It can either be a statement or it can be a command. So it could be a statement. You need to do these things because you serve Christ. Or it can be a command. You, serve Christ. <laughs> and, and either way, if you need a day of encouragement, remember, you serve Christ. Uh, yes. Or if you need to be slapped around a little bit, here it is a command. You, serve Christ. Get off your rear end. Stop complaining and serve Christ. Because that's what you're there for. That's what you're in the job that you're in for. 
That's what you are doing, what you are doing for, where you volunteer, where you serve, the people you hang out with. All of it is not for you. It is to serve your Christ, your Lord. And then he gives, the Apostle Paul gives us another motivation here. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Now we can take this one of two ways. This is either the beginning of what he's going to say about masters, A master who does things wrongly will be punished. Or a reminder for us that a slave, a servant, an employee who does things wrongly will be punished. Not just by the employer, but they stand in accountability before their very Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks to us about this kind of judgment. And it tells us that when the end of time comes, when we all stand before God, all of our works will face fire. And if we've built upon the foundation of Jesus, some of us will have built upon that foundation of our faith with good works that will be like stone and precious jewels and they will survive the fire of judgment. And some of us will have built upon the foundation of our faith in Christ Jesus with nothing but garbage and wood and hay. And that will be burned up in the fire of judgment. And it says that the person whose things are burned up, they will make it through, but only just by the skin of their teeth, essentially. Just because they trusted in Jesus, but they will be judged for all the things that they built on that foundation that were worthless. That's what we're being told here. What are you putting on the foundation of Jesus Christ as you go to work every day? Complaining, arguing, backbiting, paperclip stealing. You think that, how small of a thing do you have to steal before it's stealing? Just tiny. Did you take a thumbtack from your office this year? Thief. Anyway, um, all, all, look, there, the, all of those things, are you building up on the foundation of what you say is central to your life, your faith in Christ Jesus with garbage and complaining or are you building on it with honoring Christ? even in a job you don't love because you know it's where you, you're, you're called to be. You know it's what he's provided and you're thankful and you serve wholeheartedly. On this, to conclude this thought, obedience and a sound work ethic is a matter of your relationship with God, not just your master or employer. When you go to work tomorrow, performing to the best of your abilities, is not about your employer. It's about your relationship with God. Are you willing to honor God in this area of your life? Some of you may have heard there was a a monk in the 1600s. His name is Brother Lawrence. This is not an actual picture of him. This is just someone's drawing because the camera did not exist until the late 1800s or so, right? Second half of the 19th century. But he was well known for his letters that were published. And his letters were all about his life. As an older monk, he had been living and worked in the kitchen almost all his life in the monastery from the time he was 18 until about 80. And here's what he says about working in the kitchen. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work but the love with which it is performed. The question 
when you go to work is not how amazing and wonderful and life-changing is your work, but how faithful are you to do the work that you've been given according to your love for God. And Brother Lawrence served in a kitchen for years and said in other places that some of his greatest joy was some of the hardest work he did because in that work, he knew he was glorifying God to the fullest. And he was experiencing the very presence of God in a way that no one else he knew did because he appreciated the opportunity to work on his behalf. In the kitchen, doing dishes, making beer, cooking bread, Brother Lawrence says, this is the best life. In your job, I just look around, driving truck, counting things. Uh, I don't know everybody's jobs. I know you got some cool ones, and I know some of you are like, I hate my job, and I wish I could do something different. Teaching kids, doing therapy. Look, it's all, whether you think it's big or not, can be done to the glory of God. If you do it out of love for him. So a couple quick questions. When do you disobey your employer or your master? When do you disobey? And you might say never, but I'll say scripture gives us one place where we don't obey. If we're ever instructed to violate God's revealed standards, commands, or expectations. If you're an accountant and your, your boss tells you to cook the books, should you? No. It should seem clear, but it's not. Right? Christ would ask you to do otherwise. You know, if, if, if you are working fast food and the boss tells you to water down the Coca-Cola, do you water it down? Well, no, that's stealing. It's dishonest, right? So, so where would we not obey commands when they contradict God's standards? And, and really, that's it. Everything else you do. And you do it not because it makes you happy, but you do it because this is where God has you and you want to honor him in what you're doing, not necessarily your boss. When do you obey then? Well, at all other times as it relates to your work. Now, the boss says, when you get home, I want you to go ahead and do this. No, no, you don't have that kind of authority in my life. But instead, I want you to focus in. And then finally, why is this something we can do when we're in a place, especially with a good boss, a place with a Christian boss? They should be living by this. If you are the boss, and really, even if you're the boss of yourself, this is probably a good verse for you to apply to yourself. Deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Who is the employer accountable to? And you might go, no one. They've got enough money, nobody cares. God cares. God will hold them accountable. You are the employer Who are you responsible to for the way you treat your employees and even yourself? God. And so you will stand in judgment, just like the servant, whether they did things out of love and glory for God or they did it just because somebody was watching. The master will face judgment as well, whether you dealt with your servants, your slaves, your employees, justly and fairly. And in a world of self-employment, you are your employee, so you... It's about yourself too. Maybe you're leading a team, how you treat yourself, what you expect of your own family, what you steal from your own family in order to try and make ends meet and please someone who's not God. And this is how we live out this verse 
in Colossians 3.11 is that we understand there is an, an equality between slave or employer and master or, or slave and employee or master and employer. There's an equality. And what is that equality? We are all one in Christ. And all of us will face judgment and accountability for how we live out the commands that he has given to us. Equality, equality in Christ, it dictates our behavior towards others, even as we serve in differing roles as granted by God's providence. Even as we're all in different roles, some of us are, we've never been in charge and we don't ever want to be. We are just as accountable before God as the person who wants to be king of the world. And we all are equal in Christ, even as we assume different roles in society. And all of us are accountable to him ultimately. And so we want to serve in the roles we've been blessed with to glorify him. So what do we do? How do we live by the code? Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. How do you begin that process of living a life that glorifies Christ? First, you must be saved. If you are not a Christian, you cannot glorify God in anything that you do until you have come to a point of turning your life over to Christ. And how do you do that? Well, understanding, number one, that you were created by a loving and gracious God for a relationship with him. That's what the globe reminds us of. We were created, God shaped all of creation as an expression of his love for mankind and made us for relationship with him. But the, the tree reminds us that in Adam and Eve, even as they rebelled by eating the tree, the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, all of us have sinned. And what does sin do? Well, it, uh, it, it brings us to a place of rebellion against God in which we earn for ourselves his wrath and death. And not just death in this life, but eternal death and separation from God. And so you were created by God to be loved and in relationship with him, but you have chosen to break the relationship and you deserve punishment. But God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And he lived a perfect and sinless life and gave himself to absorb the wrath of the father, to pay the price for your sin on the cross. And then he rose again on the third day to prove that who he says he is is true and everything he's promised will come to pass if we are obedient to him. And so God created you in love, longs to have relationship with you. You have rebelled against him, but God provided the way for you to be made right through his son Jesus who died on the cross to pay for your sin and absorb the punishment for your rebellion. Now you're left with a choice. That's what the heart's all about. Will you choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Make him king of your life? Come into the kingdom of the Son? Or will you continue to reject him and live on your own? Look, you cannot glorify God in the way that you were made to until you come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus, his Son. And once that happens, then we begin to take this household code and we can live it out. And I would venture to say, while each role is given a specific command, all of these commands have a place in all of our lives. We are told to do these things. Submit for the sake of Christ and in Christ's name. Love for the sake of Christ and in his name. Obey the authorities that have been placed over us for the sake of Christ 
and in his name. Encourage those who are in roles underneath us, children and employees, for the sake of Christ. To serve with all that we are for the sake of Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. And then finally, in all of our dealings, to be just and fair in order to glorify and honor our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as we're looking at this specific household commands and living it out in our homes, understand the command that's directed towards you. Same thing I've said the last two weeks. Understand the command that's for you. Live out the command that's for you. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your your fleshly masters. Masters, be just and fair. Understand your command and live it out yourself. Don't look around the room and go, yeah, but he's not, or no, but she's not. Instead, you be faithful regardless of how everyone around you is behaving. And then pray. Pray for yourself that you can live out God's command for your life. Pray that you can do and be and submit to the power of the Spirit in such a way that you live this out. Pray for the ones closest to you, the people you work with, the people you work for, your family. And then pray for everyone around you. Pray for the world that we would learn how to submit to Christ. And then on a regular basis, support and proclaim God's design. Now, what does that mean? That means when we're talking about things like marriage, don't talk garbage. Talk God's design. We talk about our children. Don't talk smack. Don't talk about how terrible it is to have kids. It's a blessing of the Lord. Some of them are cool. Um, I have three. At least two are cool. That'll cause something for lunch, right? That's fun. Um, They'll argue over who's the cool one. Two cool too. Anyway, um, but right, but, but, but all of this, uh, don't complain about work. Instead, work in a way that honors God, right? Support and proclaim God's design. Talk good. Talk up. Sell God's design to the world around you by living it out yourself. Because we are commanded to this. Whatever our role, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, for his glory, because he's your king when you've trusted him as Lord and Savior. And in that, give thanks to God the Father through him. I just want to ask you to take a moment as the worship team makes their way up quietly to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I, I want you to get alone with God. And I want you, I'm going to read this verse one more time. And I want you to think, Lord, how might I need to change how I'm living this week and from now on, even in just one way, so that I can be faithful to this verse? Here it is one more time. And I want you to contemplate on it, and I want you to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What one thing might the Spirit be laying on your heart today that needs to change that you might glorify your Savior, Jesus?
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this life. Earlier in this letter, you taught us that it is you that created us and shaped us, that you are the one who is even holding us together in this moment. You are the one who is making the the breath come, the heart beat, the thoughts flow. We are fully dependent upon you. Whether saved or not, you are the source for all of us. And pray today that we, as, as a people who've heard your word, we might respond to it. If there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that they would, in this moment, just pray to you, confess their sin, and receive you proclaim you as king of their life and begin to seek to obey you. For those of us who have for years walked with you saying you're my king, may we take your word today and take it more seriously. Not just agreeing with it, not just reading it, but actually doing what it says. And so would you call to mind even now one area of life, one action, one attitude that needs to change, that we might be obedient and that we might begin the process of doing everything, starting with this one thing and then moving to other areas of life, doing everything in your name, Lord Jesus, doing everything for your sake, doing everything we do as a means of declaring your kingship and how good and gracious and holy you are. Open our eyes and our hearts. May we walk in ever-increasing faithfulness to your word so that you would be glorified. It's in your name we pray this morning, Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions about salvation, you want to know more, you want to box a little bit rhetorically, (laughs) and hash something out, then come and chat with me or find someone else here who looks smart, ask them. And if they don't know, ask somebody else and uh, talk with one another and share your burdens and your struggles and your questions so that we might seek the answers from God's word and be saved and grow together. Let's stand and sing of the amazing grace of God that rescues us from our brokenness and brings us into the fullness of life as we walk in obedience.